This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Open up your Bibles to Luke, and we're going to go to chapter 7 tonight. Like we've talked about before, Luke's theme is that the prophesied Messiah has come, and he's bringing the good news for anyone. First, I'd like to say thank you to Elijah. Thank you, Elijah, for holding it down last week. I've only heard good things, and having listened to it, it was very good. Great job. Y'all give Elijah a hand. He's awesome. One of the things that we learned from John the Baptist in the first week of this series that will become important again tonight is that we prepare our hearts for the Lord by being humble and repentant. And anyone who is humble and repentant before God will be saved, even unlikely people, the people that we write off, the annoying people, from rich to poor to sick to healthy, anyone that comes to the Lord with a humble heart will be saved. Uh, many years ago, I had the, uh, the pleasure of helping to run a high ropes course where you take students your age and they get strapped into a harness with a rope attached to them by a carabiner. The rope is strung through a big pulley and then attached to someone like me, someone who is belaying them, their spotter. And they would climb a telephone pole 20, 30 feet into the air And way up there in the air, there would be different challenges. Uh, The first challenge in our course was a telephone pole laid sideways at sort of an upward angle, and they would have to balance with no hand grips, balance across the pole. Now, most people have enough balance to walk on a telephone pole. And so I would would put them on belay, and they would be climbing up, and so far, so good. They would trust me. They would trust the gear. They would trust the rope. And they they might make it across the telephone pole without, without... losing their balance, but usually they would come to the second challenge. They would get to a telephone pole, and on the other side was a high wire with almost nothing to hold on to except some dangling ropes that were just a little bit too far off to reach initially. You would have to step out on the wire with nothing but your balance. And other than high wire walkers, few people had the balance for that. And it was then that suddenly the altitude And the circumstances would start to put a crunch on a lot of students. And they would get here and they would, suddenly they they weren't sure if the rope could hold their weight, rope that is tested for 3,000 pounds. And and certainly they weren't sure if the guy way down there, me, was going to be strong enough to hold on to the rope. And maybe, maybe this is the time that their carabiner broke. Like all of a sudden they would have these doubts. And they might be afraid to leave the safety of that pole to step out onto the wire. So again and again and again, I discovered a foolproof method to help get them across. And it was very simple. I would say, look, don't let go of the pole. Hold on to the pole that's safe and just step a little bit out onto the wire. Now do this for me. I would tighten up the rope and I would say, now just pick your feet up. And they would lift up their feet and the rope might stretch a little bit, but they would realize that they're perfectly secure. They wouldn't even drop far if they were to lose their balance. 
And 100% of the time, they'd find the wire with their feet and they'd be willing to cross. We have a story tonight about John the Baptist and he's in crunching circumstances. Things have gotten worse and worse and worse. And John the Baptist, even a man of faith and conviction that he was, we read a story tonight about how he has a moment of, of questions, of doubts. And when he sends messengers to ask Jesus, his point of question, a question we all have to ask, Jesus, in such a beautiful way, reassures him that, that those things that he begins to question are actually the very things that he can trust. That God's promises are reliable for whatever is going to come next in John's life. John the Baptist had sacrificed his life for a single purpose, to prepare the way for this coming Messiah. By faith, he left home and lived in the wilderness. By faith, he preached against those in power and baptized the repentant. By faith, he pointed out Jesus of Nazareth as being God's chosen one. He came to a lonely moment, and he felt like he was hanging there, unsure of what was next. And I love the way that Jesus comforts him, and that's what we're going to pick up tonight. And I believe that Luke has the same encouragement for us tonight. He wants us to ask the same questions. Jesus, are you the Messiah, or do we look for someone else? Chapter 7. Verse 18 is going to open with the phrase, the disciples of John reported all these things. So let's back up just a couple of verses. Jesus just raised a young man from the dead. And let's, let's begin in verse 16. After the, he raised this guy from the dead, it says this, fear seized them all, the whole crowd. They're shocked, they're astonished. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report spread about Jesus spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now let's pick up in verse 18. The disciples of John reported all of these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Verse 21, in that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were blind and he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. And blesses the one who's not offended by me. Every young Jew grew up with these tales, these prophecies, these stories of a Messiah to come, wondering, is it their generation, is it their day that they would see God's anointed one, the Christ? And John the Baptist grew up with the honor of knowing that he would be the one to prepare the way for that Messiah and John is this free spirit. He roamed the wilderness, and now he's chained in this lonely cell. He's cut off from daylight. He's cut off from nourishment. He's cut off from being able to see the fruit of the ministry of the man that he pointed at and said, there he is, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. 
And so there, maybe the darkness messed with his mind. Maybe the loneliness caused him questions. And he sent these two messengers to Jesus. And I love how Luke unnecessarily repeats it twice. He, he says, from John, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And then he says, and then they ask Jesus and he gives the same question. Are you the one to come or should we ask for another? Why? I think Luke is trying to get us to ask that question. And just like Jesus is going to give John an answer that he can own, I think Luke wants us to own the answer to the question for ourselves. I think we're supposed to walk away from Luke's gospel having made a choice, having made a decision. Are you the one who's to come? Luke is highlighting this question. I don't know about you, but have you ever had doubts? Those of you who maybe have been raised in Christian families, have you ever had doubts? Those of you who are saved maybe recently, have you ever wondered, did, did I tie my life to the right thing? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is he really the one worth giving my life to? This guy who lived 2,000 years ago, maybe, maybe there's something today that's more relevant. Maybe there's someone or something or some cause today that is more worthy of my life, that is more worth the pursuit that is more enjoyable than living for this guy from long, long ago. And I think Luke wants us to own our answer. And I love the providence of God that these messengers happen to show up on the day that Jesus is doing this. In fact, it says in verse 21, it says that in that hour, at this time, Jesus is in the middle of this amazing healing ministry and casting out demons. And he points out some things that happen. If you'll notice in verse 21, it says he healed people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And it sort of sets by itself this idea of healing the blind. And then whenever Jesus answers them, this idea of the blind receiving their sight is the first thing that Jesus mentions. We're supposed to put emphasis on here. And this is important because in all the Old Testament, with all the prophets and all the miracles that God did, never once in the history of the world had this miracle ever taken place, that a blind man was given sight. In fact, God sets this miracle, this unique sign, aside for himself only. God is exclusively the only one who heals the blind. Psalm 146, verse eight says, the Lord, all caps, so this is God's name, Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. And then in Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 29, it says the same thing. It's God who opens the eyes of the blind. So what does it mean when we have this man who's filling the, fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah, and there is a very specific miracle that he and only he has ever done. It's a claim to divinity. And then, what else, what else is listed here? We have, we have blind are receiving their sight, the lame are walking, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. We have it up on the screen. This is Isaiah 35, verse 4 through 6. It says this, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Whoa. This is like what John the Baptist was talking about. He's coming to separate with recompense, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then, 
Then the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Whenever John says, are you the one we should expect, or do we look for another, Jesus does not answer point blank, yes. What he does is he turns John back to scripture. He turns John back to the word of God and says, look what's happening. Scripture says that when God comes, these will be the signs to look for. Look around. John, own it for yourself. Hear what's going on. See what's going on through your messengers. Recognize that that the calendar is hinging here. We are stepping into a new era because God has come. Who has made man's ears? Who has made man's eyes? Who has made man's mouth or legs? None but God alone. Who can heal in this way? None but God alone. You see, back in verse 16, when fear it sees everyone, they're glorifying God. The best they have is a prophet has arisen among us. Oh, how that sells short the reality. And they had no idea what they said when they, would, when they would tell people that God has visited his people. They didn't realize that that was a literal current event. Are you the one to look for or should we look for another one? Jesus is doing what only God can do. And then look, I love how it ends, that the poor are hearing the good news. So Jesus tells, go tell them what you saw, miracles, and go tell them what you heard. And what's happening? This is echoing Isaiah 61 that Jesus says just a couple chapters before in Luke 4. Jesus' first sermon ever, he steps up and he reads Isaiah The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So he's doing it. Jesus, anointed with the Spirit at baptism, is proclaiming good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind. This is what Jesus is doing. So what is it that John is to hear about Jesus? He's to hear Jesus is preaching the gospel, the good news. And then Jesus ends with this phrase in verse 23. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Blessed is the person that sees and hears the reality and instead of turning away because of a hard message, they embrace it. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Jesus is not worried about offending someone. He's not worried about people's feelings. He's come to draw clear lines in the sand. But blessed is the one that hears truth and instead of stumbling over Jesus they stumble upon him and find truth blesses the one who's not offended by me so Luke is asking us the question that John asked of Jesus who are you who is Jesus and everyone in here needs to ask this question Believe it or not, everyone out there needs to ask this question too. Everyone who is breathing needs to ask this question because the answer is the difference between a narrow gate to salvation and a wide gate to hell. 
This is why we hand out gospel tracts or knock on doors. This is why we work Jesus into conversations. This is why we live separately and differently and look different than the world around us so that they'll ask the question, who is Jesus? This is the whole point of mission work. This is the whole point of, of churches leaving the building on Sunday mornings to go into the work week so that someone will ask, who is Jesus? This is the fork in the road. So where do other world religions stand on this person of Jesus? Just real briefly. Islam recognizes Jesus as a prophet, at least, an apostle of Allah, but nothing more. They recognize that he performed miracles, and they believe he ascended to heaven without dying. He didn't die on a cross, and he's certainly not God's son, because Allah has no son. For the Hindus, he's a holy man, a wise teacher, Maybe he was a god along with their many, many, many other gods. In Buddhism, he was a man who lived enlightened. He was a wise teacher. The current Dalai Lama calls him a holy man. The Jehovah's Witness, he was the archangel Michael. But he stopped being Michael when he took human form. And after dying, he returned to being Michael again. But who does Jesus say that he is? John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I'd like to read a quote from C.S. Lewis that's so pertinent to this right here. We have to decide who Jesus is. He was a historical figure. He lived and breathed. He was flesh and, blown, flesh and blood. He was a man. Was he more than a man? Was he the one sent by God? Listen to C.S. Lewis's quote. This is out of his book, Mere Christianity, who we should absolutely Everyone in here should read. Maybe we'll have it as a book of the month sometime. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not have been a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So a man who walks the earth and says, I am God, a man who intends to divide between those who would serve God and those who would serve themselves. This is not a man that's just a moral teacher. He's, he must be an egomaniac. He must be a lunatic. Or he's actually who he said he was. And John's messengers came back with a very clear answer. Jesus reminded John who he was. Jesus is the Messiah, even God himself in flesh. But then Jesus is actually going to turn the conversation. John's messengers are going to leave, and Jesus is going to turn the conversation. He's going to, he's going to affirm John, but then he's going to challenge you and me. Let's read on. Verse 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? 
Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are, are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Verse 29, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Now, as Jesus' ministry was blooming, John the Baptist kept sending people, sending his own disciples to Jesus. John is like, I've got to decrease, and he's going to increase. It's almost like John is, is passing his ministry. Everyone who followed him, no, go follow Jesus. He's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so as they're having this shift, many of Jesus' disciples are John's old disciples. And so Jesus is asking them questions. John had his ministry way out in the wilderness, out by the wilderness of Jordan. So for his disciples to go hear him, they had to travel in the wilderness, in, in empty lands, without roads. And Jesus is saying, wait, wait, you guys are overhearing this conversation about John having some doubts, but let's consider John's character for a minute. When you crossed a wilderness to hear this guy out there preach, who did you go see? Did, did you go out there to see someone who is dressed in great clothes, looking good, the preacher in sneakers? No. You want to see a man of such conviction that he spent his life there, who was wearing nothing more than camel's hair, a man who had dedicated his whole life to a singular mission. No, you went out in the wilderness to see a man of conviction, a man who was unwavering in his purpose. Who did you go see? Someone who is shaken by the wind? Someone who is wishy-washy or indecisive? No. You went out in the wilderness to see someone who is unmoving for the Lord. So Jesus is affirming him. Let's remember who John is. Let's not diminish his ministry in any way. This is a guy of great conviction. In fact, Jesus goes further than that and says, was he a prophet? Yes, but he was more than a prophet. He was a prophet that God foresaw would lead the way for God himself. Verse 21, behold, I send my messenger, John, before your face, speaking to the Messiah, who will prepare your way before you. John wasn't a prophet. He was the prophet. John is going to stand with one foot in the Old Testament and one foot in the New Testament where all the other prophets looked forward into the blurry future and God would give them tiny puzzle pieces of what this Messiah would be like, it would be John that would stand eye to eye with God in flesh and say, there he is, he's here. All of these prophecies have been leading up to this moment. Everything changes because he's here. That gets to be John. What a powerful opportunity. He's nothing less than the prophet of God. And yet, look what Jesus does. Just like a good teacher, Jesus takes the circumstances and he turns it into a teaching moment. 
It's like Jesus just sort of seamlessly and effortlessly leaves the conversation about John and he turns the whole conversation to look at me and you. Look at this. Verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. <laughs> what? What did it? How do we wrap our minds around that? The least in the kingdom of God is greater than the prophet, the greatest prophet of all time, the prophet who would recognize the Savior? How does this work? So Jesus has established who he is, the Messiah from God. He's established who John is, the forerunner to prepare the way. But now he's going to challenge us to establish our own identity. What kingdom are we in? What covenant are we under? How could someone who's low or humble in the position of God's kingdom be greater than the greatest man and prophet ever born? Jesus is using this shocking comparison to show how qualitatively greater the new covenant established by Jesus is from the old covenant. The greatest heroes of the faith in the Old Testament were under a covenant of promises and priests and sacrifices which were shadows and symbols and signs. They themselves had no qualitative value except to point like a road sign forward to the new covenant, to the one who had established the new covenant in his own blood, that is Jesus Everything that they were under was a road sign preparing the way for the new covenant, for the kingdom of God to come. This is what Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 says, talking about the great heroes of the Old Testament. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. But a follower of Jesus is under the new covenant. A follower of Jesus is under, or a follower from the old covenant, they're under the blood of animals. Under the new covenant, they're under the perfect blood of the spotless lamb of God. Under the old covenant, they were under high priests who were sinners and who would die someday. But those under the new covenant have Jesus as a high priest who is right now currently interceding for his people. Those under the old covenant were promised the Holy Spirit. Those under the new covenant received the Holy Spirit. Those of old looked forward to what was afar, but those in the new covenant, Ephesians 1.3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. You don't have to earn more. God's already said it's yours. You are an heir of the kingdom of heaven. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are under the purifying power of the blood of Jesus Christ. You have a security in your salvation that can't, that can't waver. These are the blessings that God has given us. We are receiving the promises that they looked forward to. Elevate. If you are in Christ, you are the very righteousness of God's Son. 
You were adopted as his son or daughter into his kingdom. This is incredible. This is unlike anything we could imagine. Positionally, the very least in the kingdom of God under the new covenant is greater than the greatest of positions in the old covenant. Now, for an example, this coming weekend, the singer, Matthew West, and his band is going to be here. In fact, like, I think every one of these seats, they're having to put more chairs in. It's going to be so full in here this weekend. Now, before Matthew West and his band take the stage, what's going to happen? He's going to have a whole crew here way in advance, and they're going to be building extra stages on top of stages. They're going to be setting up giant light fixtures. They're going to probably set up more speakers. They'll be putting out merchandise out there in the foyer. They're going to be making sure everything is right. The instruments are set up, and the chief of all of them is the road manager, right? And yet their position doesn't hold a candle to Matthew West, who is the name on the poster, who is the one that everyone who is coming here to see. Matthew West and his band are why people will fill this building. So you have this crew that comes in advance to make ready everything, but you have the actual headliners who are coming on the stage. Now imagine in the middle of the concert, Matthew West steps out for a few minutes and he walks the hallways to go to the bathroom or something. But as he passes by the creative room, he hears you playing guitar or piano or something. And he sticks his head in the room and he goes, that's amazing. You're in my band now. Well, what's happened? You have now bypassed every one of the road crew, including the most important one, the road manager, and you are now officially in the band. You see, what Jesus has done is he walks on earth and he says, follow me, follow me, follow me. My father's adopting you as a daughter. My father's adopting you as a son. You're bypassing all the promises that people look forward to, and now you're in the family. Receive all the blessings that come with it. Isn't this beautiful? Those in the old covenant prepared the way for the coming Messiah, and John was chief of them all. But what God does is come to a man or a woman and he adopts them into his family. Then Luke gives us a clear distinction, almost like an application following this up of those who are in the crowd right there, right then, those who are in the crowd that are both in the new covenant in God's kingdom, and those who are not. Look at this parenthetical thought in verse 29. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, the sinners, the worst of people, when they heard this too, they declared God just. They worshiped him because God is sovereign, because God gets it right, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Those who are in God's kingdom under the new covenant and those who are not. And the distinction, it says, goes all the way back to John's teaching and baptism. So right here in verse 29, who is it who receives Jesus' teaching? It's those who were baptized by John. Who chose to be baptized by John? Remember back there, whenever we started off the series? It were those who responded to John's appeals to repent. Those 
who were repentant came to John to be baptized. They readily received John. They readily came with their hearts open. Therefore, they readily accepted Jesus' teaching as well. God is already at work in them. Remember, a repentant and humble heart paves the way for the Lord to come in. Therefore, if the Lord comes in, then he opens us up to his own teaching, to himself. And they're receiving Jesus' teaching. Psalm 138.6 says, Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble. He keeps his distance from the proud. Pride, self-assurance, self-sufficiency, these are repellent to God. James 4.6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Having this heart of, of humility, being poor in spirit, being repentant, these are the entryways into the kingdom of heaven. We can't come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I've got this, and be saved. No, we come to the Lord hopeless, desperate. We know our sin. We know we're destined for hell unless God is merciful. That's how we come before the Lord. That's the repentant heart who's poor in spirit. And the Lord says, I'm coming. I've got you. You're mine. Salvation doesn't begin with us being self-sufficient. But neither does the daily life of a Christian either. If we wake up in the morning and we say, thank you, Lord, for saving me, but I got things from here. We're going to miss the boat every single day. We're not going to walk in the strength of the Holy Spirit or by the guidance of the Lord. We're going to strive and work and strain and stress and be exhausted every single day. Our days begin the same. Our days begin with a surrender that only God can have his will done through us. Only God can lead us in a way that pleases him, that, for, that furthers his kingdom. We, we face off every day with, with torrents of resistance. We have a very corrupt world that's constantly pushing his agenda on us. We have an enemy that is actively trying to sabotage every one of us. And then there's a traitor in the camp. We have our own flesh that wants to trip us up and go back to its old idol of self. How could we ever live for the Lord in holiness? How could we exude the fruit of the Spirit? How could we further God's kingdom unless the God in us is greater than he who is in the world? Unless the God in us is putting to death our flesh every day? No, daily we come to him. We need him in our lives every single day. What kingdom are you a part of? Are you under the new covenant? Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? If so, you need the Lord with you every day. We represent him. We need him. And so my challenge to you as we're, as we're kind of going out to wake up tomorrow morning and the next morning and the next morning is that we would come to the Lord surrendered every day. That we wake up and it's not a day that we take into our own hands to grab the bull by the horns, but it's a day that we wake up and say, Lord, my day is yours. I'm yours and I can't do it without you. That we're people 
that are walking in the Holy Spirit. There's a very wise man that said that God doesn't pick people to make them work. He picks people to work through them. That's our day. That's how we wake up. How can you love your enemy? How can you have joy and suffering? How can you act in patience instead of anger? These aren't traits that come out of our character. They're traits that come out of walking every day in the kingdom of God with the Holy Spirit inside of us. So what are the pressures, what are the stresses in your life that you're feeling? Like, like just for a minute, let's all close our eyes for a second. What is it that right now causes you the most anxiety? What is it that is a distraction that's hard to get your mind off of? Maybe, maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and this is, this is bugging you. When you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing that comes to your mind. What's something that's coming up in the future that's just stressful or hard? Is it a, is it a sickness? Is it, is it a, a falling out with a friend? Is it a sin that you can't seem to break free from? What is that thing that you're dealing with? Are you, are you feeling a little bit like you're 300 foot up and you're stuck? And it seems like all the things that you trusted in, your own strength, people to come through for you, your own talents, whatever those things that you trusted in, they're just, they're failing. I want to remind you the, tonight to let scripture remind you of God's faithfulness. John asked if there would be another that would come through for him. There is no other. Elevate, I challenge you to go back to your faith, to remember who God is, to remember his character. Is he big enough for this situation, for this time right now? And who are you to him? Are you his son? Are you his daughter? Are you the one that he will protect? Are you the one that he calls to nurture, to love, to guide, to, to be there for? Are you his? If he takes care of the birds, like he says in Matthew, how much more is he going to take care of you? You can open your eyes. I want you to be able to see the screen to dissect this scripture. Philippians 4, this is the end of verse 5 through 7. Listen, this is so beautiful. The Lord is at hand. No, it doesn't say the Lord is far away. Far away. It doesn't say that he's, he's going to be coming soon. It doesn't say he's over there. No, the Lord is here. He's at hand. He's at your hand. He's near. Do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because the Lord is with you. The Lord is at hand. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Look at this. To everyone in the room that was able to come up with something while your eyes were closed, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I'm asking you the question tonight that John asked, that Luke's asking us, who is Jesus to you? And I'll ask you the question that Jesus is asking his disciples, who are you to Jesus? Because if you can answer those questions, that Jesus is God, and I belong to him, then he's big enough that you mean enough to him. 
Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus. Thank you.